welcome in to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. It is Tuesday, December 7th, week 13 in our rearview mirror. That means week 14 and the final week of the fantasy football regular season for most of us has arrived. So we are going to dive right in in this week, a crucial week in the fantasy football world. It's Tuesday. That means it is Beat Writer Day on the Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to kick things off today in Baltimore talking Ravens with our Ravens beat writer, Jeff Zrebik. Jeff, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is a team that uh, is giving some people some fits, Jeff, because Lamar Jackson is a guy who you draft Lamar Jackson, you feel great about your quarterback situation, and you have felt great about it for most of the season, but it has been a rough three-week stretch for Lamar that actually has some people questioning whether they can trust him as a starter against a very tough Cleveland Browns defense in Week 14. Uh, What gives to your eyes with this rough stretch that Lamar's been going through? Yeah, you know, this has to be the roughest stretch of his young career. You know, you see flashes of it, um, you know, and then, you know, there's just been too many mistakes. He looks confused at times. Um, you know, not assertive at all. Uh, it's head scratching. There, there's no doubt about it. He's in a funk and, you know, you'd like to think he's going to get out of it. Uh, they need to win games to make the playoffs. He's, you know, he's competing his butt off out there. Uh, you know, people want to point to him being sick or missing practices. I don't know what's that. He just looks confused. It just looks like he doesn't have a whole lot of answers. He's not sure where the blitz is coming from. He's gun-shy. I mean, there were open receivers downfield all night against Pittsburgh, and he just wasn't delivering the ball. And, and yes, pass rush had something to do with that. You know, J.J. Watt had 12 hurries. But uh, there were plenty of times. I mean, he took seven sacks. But if you look at those, a case could be made as many as two-thirds of those were cut more more from him holding the ball too long, at least three or four of them, you know. So uh, it's a concern. There's no doubt. You know, I don't want to use the word broken for their offense, uh, but I'm getting there, Michael. It, it's it's just been that bad. It's been that bad for the offense too, right? And I mean, I guess that makes sense. When your quarterback's playing like this, uh, your offense is not going to look so great. 19 or fewer points in four of the last five, obviously. One of those was the game that Lamar didn't play because of his illness. But, I mean, does this all tie back to the quarterback position? I think so. You know, that's where it starts and ends in the NFL. Uh, you know, there's other there's other issues, no doubt. Um, you know, the offensive line is a problem. Uh, you know, their tackle play has been horrid at times. Um, you know, Watt and Alex Highsmith. Now, Watt's one of the best three players probably – defensive players in the NFL so okay but Watt now he didn't practice all week because of COVID then him and Alex Highsmith come out and have 20 quarterback hurries that's an absurd number they and now they're going against Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett who must just be licking their chops healthy after a bye week uh, that's a scary proposition for the Ravens. But, yeah, um, it, they have to do something to get Lamar Jackson out of this funk. I don't know if it's going up-tempo right away. He seems to be a lot more comfortable, uh, you know, and you, you kind of – they've been getting off these slow starts. Maybe that's the answer, kind of getting him getting him in the game early and kind of get the offense going. I mean, I know that's not their nature, but he has been pretty good in two-minute situations. Maybe they try that. 
Um, but yeah, it starts with him. Until he starts making better decisions, being a little more assertive with the football, it's going to be tough to trust their offense as a whole. We've seen it with him, though. You know, something could trigger, you know, I don't want to say flip the switch, but we've seen him turn it around real quick after a bad game or two. And all of a sudden, he looks like an MVP. So uh, I'm not counting that guy out. As I said, he's still out there competing hard. He, he you know, he's so competitive and wants to win. Uh, and you know this is eating him up. But they better figure something out and quick because he's not playing nearly well enough uh, to hide all the flaws that they have. One more question along this same line of thinking, and it's got to do with Marquise Brown. He's had three straight games of 55 yards or fewer. He also had the missed game against Chicago mixed in over these last four weeks. The targets have been there. The production hasn't. Same root problem at play here? I think so. You know, they that Miami game, when, when Sammy Watkins came back, that was – you know, the first time all year they had the, their three, you know, their top four receivers because Duvernay is, is a guy they like. Um, and they finally had Bateman, Watkins, and, and Marquise Brown, and then Duvernay. You know, they're all in. And that was kind of supposed to be, you know, the, the time where a passing game that had already looked much improved was going was gonna to get even better and more dangerous. Instead, they they flat out regressed, uh, all of them. I mean, Bateman had zero, zero catches last week. Um, Watkins made a couple plays in the end, uh, you know, and got him in the end zone, but, uh, he'd been quiet in a couple games before that. And, and, and then you have Marquise Brown. I, I think it's Michael. I, I think the issue, he, he's still looking at Marquise Brown, but I still think the issue is there's a lot of blitzing. They don't trust their, uh, their pass pro, especially their tackles. And there's just, there's just not a whole lot going on down the field because they don't trust that they're going to be able to make those plays and have the time to connect on some of those deeper shots. Now, you're right. I mean, Marquise Brown is, is doing some stuff underneath. He's still getting his hands on the ball. In fact, there, there's complaints here that Marquise, um, that, you know, Lamar Jackson is throwing too much to Marquise Brown and, and Mark Andrews, and that's hurting, you know, there are other people like Bateman. But, yeah, I think it's as all of all tied in that, you know, they just not had any, they're just not making any big plays anymore in the passing game. Uh, and I think a pass protection and, and Lamar and the, how much teams are blitzing them and kind of Lamar Jackson's confusion in dealing with all that has is, is been a, a major reason because Marquise Brown looks like the same guy to me and he's open. Uh, there was a game, there was a play against Pittsburgh where he, he was open for at least 30 down the field and, and Lamar just didn't pull the trigger. I just don't think he trusts what he's looking at right now. Right, let's get to the flip side because it's not all gloom and doom for this team. First of all, we are talking about a team that's in first place in its division and could and could very well still get the lone buy and top seed in the AFC side of the playoff bracket. And also we do have some uh, intriguing individual performance to talk about in a good way, and that's got to do with Devontae Freeman, who looks totally reborn, not quite 100% the Atlanta Devontae Freeman, but as close to it as we've seen in a couple of years. I mean, is this backfield totally his, or at least as his, uh, as Baltimore's offense will scheme it to be for one back? Yeah, you know, what you said last, I, I totally agree with. I mean, you know, Greg Roman would like to rotate guys, um, but it's clear he's the most dangerous guy they have. The You know, he's capable of, you know, breaking a few tackles. He's a better option in the passing game. He's better, better at blitz pickup than the guys they have. Um, you know, they're never going to be a, a 20 plus carry one guy team with, with, at least with this group. 
but he's the closest thing they have to it. So it, it has been it, it has been an interesting story, and it's just funny you look back on it and they you know they lose J.K. Dobbins. Excuse me, yeah, they lose J.K. Dobbins, and you know they have this tryout for the running backs, and uh, you know it was Le- Le'Veon Bell was at the tryout, uh, Devonta Freeman, a couple other guys were. And it got to the point where they wanted Devontae Freeman, they felt like, was a clear best guy. He was the most explosive in the tryout. And, you know, Devontae Freeman wasn't interested in signing to be a practice squad guy. Uh, and then, I guess it was three days before the season opener, Gus Edwards tears his ACL in practice. And all of a sudden, there's an opportunity to play right away. And, and Devontae Freeman signed up. And, and we've seen him kind of get progressively better. You know, he's given him some real juice. Um, you know, he's been good with ball security. As I said, he's, he's done a little bit better in the passing game. They've been emphasizing Lamar Jackson to check down more. And I think we saw the result of that Sunday night and Devonta Freeman got involved in the passing game. So yeah, he's the clear number one. I mean, I know it's been a source of great frustration for fantasy owners over the course of the year. Uh, but he's the guy, I think he's a legitimate play, uh, going forward. A huge game this week in Cleveland. The second time these teams uh, will meet over the last three weeks. It's a big game in the AFC North. It's a big game in the AFC period, and that's going to be the truth of pretty much every game that puts two AFC playoff contenders against one another with how stacked up that conference is. What are your early expectations for this matchup with the Browns? It'll be interesting. Look, this is a tough spot for the Ravens. You know, they they won a game uh, on Sunday night two Sundays ago against the Browns that, you know, they probably shouldn't have won. You know, Lamar Jackson threw four picks. Um, They found a way to win. Their defense was largely the reason. Um, And, uh, you know, Kevin Stefanski curiously deciding not to run the ball also contributed. Um, Now Browns go into a bye week. They're playing for their season. I think it's pretty clear if they lose Sunday, they're pretty much done. Um and they're healthy. You know, obviously Jack Conklin's not coming back, but they got everybody back. They got another week. Meanwhile, Ravens had to go through a grueling game against their biggest rival that came down to the end, and they lose their best defensive player in Marlon Humphrey. Uh, it's a tough spot the Ravens are in, you know. It, it, things are teetering a little bit here. I think you can feel that a little bit. I, I think they know the importance of this game, especially with the Packers looming. Um, you know, uh, the biggest question is, can they protect Lamar Jackson and keep Garrett and Clowney out of the backfield? Um, and what sort of adjustments will the Browns make to them? Because they loaded the box against the Browns. They don't like loading the box, the Ravens. They feel like they, you know, they can stop people, but they went big to take away the running backs and, and it worked. But, you know, Stefanski's had, uh, you know, going to have two weeks now to, to make a different play and, and to go into a different idea of how to attack the Ravens. So I think it's a real tough spot for the Ravens to be in. Yeah, big game on both sides and, you know, plenty of fantasy juice on both sides, but uh, 16 to 10, the first time these teams played, uh, those of us in the fantasy world would definitely like to see that bump up a little bit this week. It'll be an interesting one when these two teams get together in Cleveland on Sunday. That's Jeff Zrebic, Ravens beat writer for us here at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Zrebic, Z-R-E-B-I-E-C. Jeff, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. All right, we move along on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. From one AFC North team to another, we leave behind the Ravens and talk Cincinnati Bengals with our Bengals beat reporter, 
Jay Morrison. Jay, how you doing today? Thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Oh yeah, glad to be on. I'm I'm, I'm doing great. I uh, had a little rough experience on Sunday during the game. I got sick in the middle of the game in the press Ooh. box, and so it, I feel great to be back to normal. Um, I, I know Bengal fans are hoping that Joe Burrow can say the soon say the same yes. pretty soon here. Yes, let's just start right there. Um, obviously, it's still very early in the week, and there's plenty of optimism for Joe Burrow and that finger issue this week against the 49ers. But uh, what more can you give us, what, about 36 hours later from uh, when this game was played? Yeah, it's still kind of touch and go. They they are likely going to limit uh, his activity and practice at least Wednesday. There, there, there's not a lot of fear that he's going to miss the game, but obviously anytime you have an injury, rest is the best medicine for it. You just can't afford to do that here. Um, it, he, he's a tough guy. He'll, he'll play through pain. I, I think the big issue here is what happens when he throws a pass and is, his hand, his pinky in particular, hits a shoulder pad, hits a forearm, hits a helmet. Mm -hmm. um, or if he gets sacked and he's got that ball cradled in his right hand, you can't really twist yourself and avoid the what hits the ground first. It's you know a very good chance it's going to be the pinky that hits the ground first. So he's going to have to play through pain for a while. Uh, the Jamar Chase talked yesterday about how he didn't see a big difference in zip or accuracy on Joe's balls. And, and Zach kind of said the same thing, the head coach, Zach Taylor. Um, but there, there, there has to be some, I mean, there's just no way that, that you can have any kind of finger injury and not have it affect your delivery. Yeah. We just got to hope that it's not a, a huge difference in, especially the accuracy and the zip, obviously important as well, but uh, it's just something that I think most Joe Burrow managers are sort of going to have to live with. You might not find too many people who have an option better than an 80, 85%, whatever the case might be, Joe Burrow. So that's just the reality of the situation and what is the final regular season fantasy week for most people. Let's talk about Jamar Chase actually for a second here because uh, just from reading the box score, it appears as though maybe a rookie wall uh, is in place for him. Five straight games with 52 yards or fewer. Over the first seven games of the season, his low was 54 yards, and he has not hit that in any of his last five games. To your eye, rookie wall, just the vagaries of the game and just the randomness of the sport. What do you think is going on with Jamar Chase here? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is defenses are just kind of catching up to him it was I don't I don't know if he caught anybody by surprise so much because he's the number five overall mm -hmm. pick everyone saw what he did in college but they they just kind of played the Bengals straight the first half of the year and there was a lot of times in this offense was kind of struggling and it was Jamar Chase that brought him out of it they would hit a deep ball over the top and it would really kind of get the offense going that the defensive defenses have been committed to taking that away and, and the first time we really saw that was in Baltimore and they just gashed the Ravens underneath he had that 82 yard touchdown where it was just a quick slant he breaks a tackle of Marlon Humphrey and he's gone uh, we thought we would start seeing some more of that but it, you know Joe Burrow's fallback line is he throws the ball to who the defense tells him to throw it to and it's just they're, they're throwing so much attention at Chase now mm -hmm. that that he's been going more towards T. Higgins, who is really back-to-back 100-yard -back games. Uh, th that's a huge thing there. If, if he can become a weapon, Tyler Boyd can continue to be the, the third-down weapon that he is. I think it's going to open things up, make defenses play a little more honest. The big question is, 
you know, you, you look, the box score doesn't tell you the big moment in that game. And that was a deep ball that should have been a touchdown that bounced off Jamar Chase's hands, goes right to a Chargers defender. It's a turnover. Big reason why they start that game in a 24 to nothing hole. Mm -hmm. There was also a deep ball that was going to chase. He was wide open. And that's when Burrow got sacked, stripped of the ball, injured the pinky. That was a key play. That was the the first turnover of the game for them. So even though defenses are are shading towards Chase, the Bengals are still finding ways to to get him open and and take shots when they're there. They're just not there as often. Um, it uh, you will have to see. He's he had a, a history of drops in the preseason. Kind of overcame that. Now they're starting to creep up again in the regular season. He's It's clear he doesn't like playing in the cold. We'll see if that affects him. Um, I, I wouldn't bench him by any means. Yeah. But, yeah, you, you wonder what these last five games are going to look like. I'd be shocked if they looked anything like his first five games. You mentioned those uh, back-to-back 100-yard games for T. Higgins. That's the guy he was last year and the guy that we thought he would be pure production-wise again this season. Uh, how much of that owes to this extra attention being paid to Jamar Chase? I think that's part of it. I think part of it is T is uh, healthy. He he missed two games early in the year, the shoulder injury. He came back. Uh, might have still been bothering him a little bit. Uh, part of it is is Joe Burrow kind of regaining that confidence in him. So, some of these, you know, the touchdown he had uh, the previous week in the win against the Steelers, and then the the touchdown he had this past game against the Chargers, were Joe Burrow throwing the ball up in coverage, single coverage against the Steelers, double ch- double coverage against the Chargers, just throwing the ball up and trusting T. Higgins to go up and high point it and make the play, and he did both times. Um, he's also uh, looked at him more on third downs, and I think that is a big product where they're kind of taking away chase on the third downs, especially third and long, and T. Higgins is getting single coverage and beating it. Um, it's I, I, this is a big thing all the way around. It's big for the offense. It's it's big for relaxing the coverage on Chase, and it's big for T. Higgins' confidence because he was on his way to a thousand yards last year. Has the hamstring injury in the finale, didn't get there. Started really slow this year, and you could tell it was bothering him a little bit. He's just he seems like a different guy now, just much more confident and happy with the way things are going in the offense. Before the pinky injury uh, from Sunday against the Chargers, uh, Joe Burrow's touchdown production had slowed down considerably over the last couple of months. You go all the way through October, and he had at least two touchdowns per game. He had three straight games with three touchdowns to end October. And then the last four weeks, Jay, have gone as follows, as I'm sure you already know. Zero touchdowns against the Browns, one against the Raiders, one against the Steelers, one against the Chargers. Obviously, it's not all tied back to him, but is there... What of it that does tie back to him is something that's jumped out at you, if anything. I'm not sure of if, if how much of it goes back to Burrow. A lot of it is they have just been riding Joe Mixon. I mean, Joe Mixon mm-hmm. goes four straight games with multiple touchdowns. He's got at least a single touchdown in nine straight games. Um, they, they know what AFC North football is. When you get in December, they're going to have to ride Joe Mixon down the stretch, and they're they're getting that going. They, they really – you know, he, he was thrilled with the return of Frank Pollock to be the offensive line coach. He was here in 2018, Frank was, when Joe led the AFC in rushing. Zach Taylor comes in. Jim Turner's his guy. Even though um, Pollock is under contract, they let Pollock go. Two years of Jim Turner don't work out so well. They bring Frank Pollock back, and we've seen it. That This is not a great offensive line, um, but it's serviceable. And, and they're scheming it up in a way that is working best for Joe and that the wide zone, uh, letting him get out on the edge and just kind of run over 
safeties and corners, using his vision to cut back. This is the Joe Burrow's lack of production touchdown wise is is tied most directly to Joe Mixon's rise in production as a runner. He's 22 yards away from a thousand and he's got 12 touchdowns on the ground already. It's been a pretty amazing year for Joe. Yeah, we know touchdowns can be pretty volatile, hard to predict, and it does seem that uh, that seesaw is just now pointing in the running game direction rather than the passing game as it was earlier in the season. Big Week 14 game on both sides. Uh, 49ers and Bengals definitely both in need of a win in their respective playoff chases. What are your expectations for this one, Jay? Yeah, it's It's... it's- Strange because the the 49ers have all these issues at running back. I'm concerned. As a Debo Samuel owner, (laughs) I am concerned. Uh, I mean, he's such a difference maker. And the way they put him in the backfield now and um, the success they've had running the ball, the the Bengals' defense is number four against the run. That's the the one thing they've done really well. And of late, they've been forcing a lot of turnovers. Uh, Three straight games, forcing multiple turnovers. But the offense has been coughing it up. Um, I, I think this is going to be a, a very tight game, and both teams need it. They're, they are they are both right on that cusp of the, the playoff race. I think we're going to see them lean on Mixon heavily, not just because that's the way the offense is going lately, but if you want to mitigate the risk to Joe further injuring that, that finger, there's no better way than just having him stick the ball in, in the belly of Joe Mixon and letting him take off 49ers, number six defense in the league, but they're not that great. They're, they're better against the pass than they are against the run. And I, I, I just, I feel like that was going to be the plan last week against the chargers. And then you get down 24 to nothing. And you, you really have no choice. You have to start chucking the ball around. Um, if they can get off to a better start this week, keep that game close. I, I think we're going to see a whole lot more of Joe Mixon. It's a no, one of a number of big games with uh, real life playoff implications that also carry quite a bit of fantasy goodness. Bengals and 49ers getting together this weekend. It's Jay Morrison. He'll be there. He'll be all over everything. Bengals the rest of the season. Our Bengals beat writer at The Athletic. You can get him on Twitter at Jay Morrison ATH. And also, Bengals fans, sure you already know this, but just in case you don't, be sure to check out Hear That Podcast Growlin', our Bengals podcast with Jay and Paul Daner Jr. Jay, thanks so much for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Sure thing. Great talking to you, Mike. All right. One more beat writer on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, and that is Arif Hassan, who covers the Minnesota Vikings for us at the Athletic. Arif, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. This is a team that I love for fantasy purposes, but it has taken a couple of hits over recent weeks. Most recently, Adam Thielen with the high ankle sprain. Thursday night football, quick turnaround. Not going to see Adam Thielen out there against the Steelers on Thursday. That's more work for K.J. Osborne. That's maybe more work for Tyler Conklin. How do you look at those two guys in a world without Adam Thielen? Yeah, I think we're going to see, if you're in a touchdown-heavy league, I'd I'd maybe think about Tyler Conklin. But otherwise, yeah, I'd certainly take a look at uh, K.J. Osborne for, you know, a a flex kind of play. But uh, Thielen is so important in a lot of, you know, areas that Mm -hmm. I don't think Osborne can necessarily replicate. And his touchdown production, I mean, I'm sure everyone in the fantasy world has been talking about, you know, his touchdown production and how crazy it is over the past two years. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is red zone usage, right? Because even though he is a decent deep ball receiver, that's not exactly how the Vikings have been using him, and nor is it how he's scoring his touchdowns. He's been used in the red zone, so the Vikings need to change their approach to the red zone without Adam Thielen. That could either mean running the ball more, in which case, you know, Alexander Madison shares, right, because Dalvin Cook is still out. Um, or it, it could mean trying to find 
out who the other red zone targets are. Justin Jefferson uh, thus far has only been an okay to, to somewhat below average red zone target. Great at everything else, but like <laughs> yes. uh, in, in terms of in terms of red zone production, he's not necessarily all there. So if the Vikings need to pivot away from that, um, they might do some end zone trickery or goal line trickery. But I think more likely than not, we're going to see Tyler Conklin targets kind of make up the difference because part of the reason regression didn't occur for Thielen is because the Vikings also lost Kyle Rudolph. And so those targets were just going to be funneled to Thielen anyway. Uh, and so that is kind of how I would view that is that there are opportunities for Tyler Conklin because their touchdown opportunities are pretty volatile. Um, and so you just kind of have to make your bed there. But I think, you know, between the 20s, you're, you're very likely going to see more targets to, to players like KJ Osborne and specifically KJ Osborne. But we're probably going to see some wider distribution because there have been some games where for like three quarters, only three players have seen targets, you know, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Delvin Cook. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth guy is like CJ Ham, right? And so uh, there's going to have to be a wider um, target share just in general, uh, and especially with Thielen out. So 40 pass attempts for Kirk Cousins last week, and obviously Thielen didn't miss the whole game, but just using that as a barometer, we saw seven targets for KJ Osborne, nine for Tyler Conklin, a season high for him. Uh, fair target share expectation for those guys without Thielen? Uh, I think so. Again, I don't know that that Conklin will will hit those um, high. I don't I don't know if he'll get twenty five percent or so of of targets going forward. But I think you know it wouldn't shock me you know if he did right uh, in in that context. So certainly I, I think that that you'll see a, a noticeable and you know clear uptick in, in target opportunity for Conklin because he doesn't have the big play capability that that Thielen does. Um, those targets are going to be less meaningful as they typically are for tight ends. Uh, and also the Vikings were using Conklin on tight end screens, which, I mean, frankly, they're not very good at. Uh, and so whether or not those targets produce anything for you as a fantasy owner, that's a that's a different you know question. I mean, receptions are points in most leagues anyway nowadays, so you know who cares? But uh, if the Vikings decide to stop using tight end screens, that could also you know uh, reduce Conklin's opportunity, despite the fact that you know, he clearly needs to be targeted if the Vikings offense wants to move forward with that Thielen. You mentioned Thielen being such a red zone monster for this team and really one of the most productive red zone receivers in the NFL over the last two years. No Thielen, obviously, as you said, changes the way this team operates once they get in near the goal line. Any other big changes you would expect for them without Thielen this week and maybe in the couple weeks to come? Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to pair the concerns about Thielen also with the fact that they don't have Dalvin Cook and whether or not that changes their uh, response. Because typically you lose somebody in the passing game, you might want to lean on the running game, but they've lost somebody in both areas. And though they like Alexander Madison a lot, you know, I, I don't think they think of Alexander Madison in the same way they do Dalvin Cook. Uh, and so I think that those concerns might actually balance each other out in terms of the way that they approach uh, neutral game script situations. Obviously, if they're behind, they'll throw. If they're ahead, they'll run. But uh, I, I think without Thielen... Um, the Vikings might have to reset back to where they would have been with both Thielen and Cook healthy. So strategically, it might, or tactically, it might just be a wash. Um, mm-hmm. I would still imagine that the Vikings, who um, have been a frustratingly short passing game team this year, you know, last two years, that when they do throw the ball, they tend to throw it deep. Um, this year, they've been a short passing game. I think without Thielen, They'll have to continue that approach, which, you know, if you're a Justin Jefferson owner, might get annoying, but he will get his targets regardless. So um, you're you're probably fine. But I I think that adjusting your expectations for a lower depth passing game makes some sense. Yeah, let's talk about Justin Jefferson for a second here, because I am a a very invested Justin Jefferson person. And so you go back to week eight and nine against Dallas and Baltimore, and he had four targets against Dallas and five against Baltimore. And I was just sitting there thinking like, 
what are we doing? Like, how are we not getting Justin Jefferson 10 targets every single game? Look at what the guy does with those sorts of uh, numbers. And then the four games since, 11 targets, 10 targets, 9 targets, 14 targets, 143, 169, 83, and 182 in the yardage department. Uh, he's, I think, safely one of the three best receivers in the NFL right now. Uh, is there any chance that we could be looking at something like a Justin Jefferson 15-target game without Thielen? I think so. It, it, again, it depends on the game script, right? If the Vikings somehow pull way ahead, it's not the, as if the Steelers are a, a great team, but the Vikings are masterfully good at creating close games. <laughs> um, so, so if the Vikings somehow avoid that and get a multi-game score, you know, you'll see the, the Jefferson target number drop pretty precipitously. Um, but the target share will always be pretty high. Uh, I think a 15-target game is well in the works. I think Jefferson just hit the most productive, at least by receiving yards, the most productive four-game stretch in Vikings receiver history, which, of course, includes players like Randy Moss and Chris Carter. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's just an incredible statistic to hit. Uh, and so for, for him to be able to do that within the stretch, I think there is the possibility of regression kind of hurting you on the back end, but there are so many forces opposing that right now, like the Thielen injury, that I think we might be able to see something along the lines of a 15-target game for Jefferson. Again, those targets might come at a lower depth, than, than we're used to seeing just because you don't have Thielen out there as an outlet. They, they might not trust their pass protection without an additional receiver to get rid of the ball. So uh, there are other things here you have to take into account, the fact that, that though the Steelers have a significantly depleted defensive line compared to last year, they still have T.J. Watt, right? They still have Cameron Hayward. They're still going to find ways to get pressure, and that's going to reduce their passing opportunities just kind of generally for the Vikings. So I think we're going to find a lower depth. But, I, I yeah, I think a 15-target game is is well within um, the realm of possibility for someone like Justin Jefferson. This is a big game on both sides. It's I mean it's it's a bigger game for the Steelers I suppose in that Minnesota you know with these last two losses to San Fran and Detroit starting to slide a tiny bit out of the playoff picture but with the NFC last couple spots in the playoffs being so soft definitely not quite out of it yet especially when you're looking at a very winnable game against Pittsburgh this week and then one in Chicago next week so uh, Vikings aren't quite out of it definitely need this one though uh, you've mentioned some things but what are your other expectations for this matchup with the Steelers yeah like I said it's gonna be a close game <laughs> there's no way to avoid that it's crazy. Uh, but uh, other than that um yeah, I, uh, I, I think we covered most of it from a fantasy-relevant perspective. I would imagine we're going to see just maybe a little bit more uh, in terms of Kenny Wangu involvement, but I don't know that if that's meaningful for any fantasy player unless you have to start, like, 40 people, right? <laughs> like, I don't know that, that Kenny Wangu is going gonna, is gonna to change anything this week, but that is usage worth monitoring going forward if the Vikings really want to involve this, uh, this fairly incredible talent. Um, if you're in a return league, obviously I would get invested in Kenny Wong. If you haven't already, you probably, you know, have lost out on that opportunity by now. But, um, yeah, that is probably the only other skill position player I'd pay a lot of attention to. I don't think the Vikings are going to get, like, D.D. Westbrook any more involved. I don't think we're going to see enough of a change in C.J. Ham's role or anything like that. So, uh, from, a, from a skill position perspective, uh, I think we covered basically everything. The Vikings are the Vikings, right? It's a narrow tree, and, yeah, I mean— is there another franchise? Forget about just 2020. Is there a franchise in the NFL that could beat the Packers, 
beat the Chargers on the road and then have two two-point games against the Lions that includes a loss. I mean, it's just oh, absolutely not. And uh, you know, they they had a one-point game against the Cardinals. Cardinals they yeah. had they went to overtime against the Ravens, uh, and then of course they have two two-point games against the Lions with a loss. <laughs> it's just the Vikings. So, yeah, that is that is the Minnesota Vikings in a nutshell, and so uh, should be another fun one this week against the Steelers. That's Arif Hassan, Minnesota Vikings beat writer here at the Athletic. Get him on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Arif man, thanks for being with us on this episode of the Fantasy Football Pod. Thanks for having me. All right, it is time to just about put a bow on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. We have one more task at hand, and that is opening up the Athletic Fantasy Sports Mailbag. And I do that every week with Brandon Funston. Funston, we're like, you know, it's December. Maybe we should start calling it, uh, you know, Santa's Bag of Great Fantasy Toy Questions. Oh, all kinds of puns available to <laughs> us. Yes, we probably should... Schedule a meeting, have a big brainstorming session, get as many of our uh, you know puns that we can tie into the fantasy world as possible. Nando has got me uh, going through my top 100 Christmas songs again, yes. so that's I love that's it. Uh, that's been a bit of a distraction, but a good distraction. Oh, I, I love it! I can't wait to talk about that. And something tells me I I don't know this for sure. Like I haven't talked about him with it, but something tells me that Jake. Young curmudgeon, the young mudge, probably hates puns like this. So we definitely have to bring this up on Thursday. <laughs> oh, big time. Like, big is there, time. He'll, is, is he'll there call any us doubt? dads. And, right? and you're a dad now, so yeah. you'll have to be in the official dad <laughs> joke club at this point. <laughs> is there any – have you ever, like, known something in your bones without knowing it for real more than Jake must hate puns? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, when it comes to Christmas, for sure. <laughs> I feel like if you went to like I don't know Rick and Morty or something yeah. and did puns there, you'd be okay. But like I, uh, I certainly think that uh, in Christmas and Christmas songs and things like that could get him could get under his skin a little. Oh bit. Oh my god, I already can't wait for Thursday's episode to get here. But we have some business to take care of before that, so let's do that. We've got some questions from our loyal listeners, and we are going to tackle those now. Let's get to this first question coming to us from Andrew on Twitter. As always, you can email. Uh, email us tafantasysports at gmail.com or just hit us up on Twitter if you have any questions that you want us to answer like Andrew did. Andrew hit us up on Twitter and he wants to know, is it worth holding the Dolphins defense through their bye, which they have here in week 14, considering they have the Jets next week? Funston, you and I talked about this last week, looking ahead to the, the Dolphins as a great fantasy defense. I think I can speak for both of us when I say as long as you've got the roster spot, absolutely yes. Yeah, it's all about context, and I, I'll i be honest, I'm doing this in one league, uh, and it's because I have a roster spot. I have Tony Jones sitting there. I don't need that guy. Uh, he had a <laughs> shot. It didn't work out. Mm -hmm. There's not a whole heck of a lot, you know, difference-making guys that are going to, in the final few weeks, break into my rotation. So, sure, cut Tony Jones, move Miami down to my, my bench spot, enjoy the New York Jets matchup the following week, cut the defense that I'll be playing this week when that time comes. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, you know, don't don't cut somebody usable. Yep. It's got to be like the, I don't know, Miko Hardman, Tony Jones, LaVisca Chenault kind of yep. set. Guys that you just were hoping for things there. It's not working out, and you can cut them loose. 
Uh, exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth, and this is the time of year when strategies change. Earlier in the year, six weeks ago, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world to have two defenses on your roster at the expense of just a depth receiver, a guy who can plug in for an injury here or a bye week there. But at this time of year, you don't need those guys. And I'm going to be doing something similar too. I've got, you know, I lost on one team, I lost Corey Davis to injury, so that's an easy cut. But I also had as a depth receiver on that team, Emmanuel Sanders. And he's a guy who, you know, I really have no use for anymore with the buys being done and, you know, whatever. If it comes to a point where I get a ton of receiver injuries in the playoffs, I can pick up Emmanuel Sanders back onto my team or whatever else other receiver I could get out there. But this is the time of year when you do stash defenses for the future in Miami with that week 15 first round of the playoffs matchup against the Jets, a great one to hold on to. So Andrew, you have our full-throated support to hold the Dolphins defense through their bye. Hunter Smith also coming to us on Twitter. He wants to know, is Elijah Moore a wide receiver too? The rest of the way is one game enough to squash our concerns about Zach Wilson throwing him the ball. What do you think, Funston? Well, you remember opening the year, Corey Davis was doing just fine with Zach Wilson. Uh, had some nice games. And uh, with Corey Davis out, you know, with the core injury problem i don't have any problem saying that elijah moore is at least close to a wide receiver too i'm sure i'll be ranking him you know in the 24 to 30 range an awful lot down the stretch um just because of the talent because you know he's kind of now the de facto number one and you know jameson crowder is a nice you know compliment to that but i think elijah moore is a playmaker in the passing game and every week there's the expectation you're going to have the need to push the pace on offense because you're scoreboard chasing. That's just been the narrative all year long. So I like the idea of Elijah Moore getting a lot of opportunities down the stretch to make plays. I like that too. It, it makes way too much sense, right? Elijah Moore uh, could certainly be a big part of the next contending Jets team if and when the next contending Jets team ever materializes. He's the number one receiver on the team, I would say, without question. With Corey Davis down, the opportunity certainly should be there. And then just with, you know, how the, the fact that wide receiver, the position as a, as a whole in the fantasy world has been so inconsistent this year, I just find it hard to believe that most Elijah Moore managers are going to have three receivers that they would rather start ahead of Elijah Moore. It's it's out there. I, I'm sure there are some, but I would say that the majority of Elijah Moore uh, managers are going to want him in their lineups based on just who else they have on their team, regardless of who, who the quarterback is for the Jets. So once again, in agreement on this one, Elijah Moore, someone who you can feel pretty safe about as a starter for you the rest of the way. Can we say the same about Gerald Everett Funston in week 14? Jason wants to know that. Jason has Dallas Goddard going on a bye, and waivers, according to him in his league, are a, quote, wasteland. So, Gerald Everett, would you attack a wasteland waiver situation at tight end, or would you hold your nose and start Gerald Everett? Well, how big of a wasteland are we talking? Like, is Ty Conklin there? If Ty Conklin's there, I like mm -hmm. Ty Conklin. Is Ricky Seals-Jones so there? I probably like Ricky Seals-Jones better than Gerald Everett with Logan Thomas out. Um, mm -hmm. Cole Komet's been getting a decent amount of looks. He's kind of interesting, but I, I kind of that's kind of where Gerald Everett is because let's not forget, Gerald Everett did get six targets. He did drop a ball in the end zone that he kicked <laughs> off his foot that went for an mm -hmm. interception. So that doesn't happen you like the fact that they're throwing to him in the end zone. That would have been a second straight week with a touchdown. Pete Carroll, before this game, had come out and said, we just need to continue to go to Gerald Everett. So they like what they see of him in practice. He's a very athletic, kind of like was sort of emerging as their third wide receiver. He's, you know, got that, got the very athletic profile. So are they going to completely bury him because he had a, an anomalous 
all-time terrible game? I'm not sure they are. I think we, we're tending to probably overreact a little bit too much. So I do like Ty Conklin better this week. I do like Ricky Seals-Jones. At that point, if you're starting to you know get into the Evan Ingram, Cole Komet world, I might just stick with Gerald Everett and see if he has a you know a bounce back opportunity this week. And, and you must be some sort of fantasy analyst, Funston, because at least just pulling up Yahoo, that's like the, the one that's most easy for me to pull up quickly. Those guys are all bunched in terms of uh, roster rate. You've got Tyler Conklin at 30%, Evan Ingram at 29%, Gerald Everett at 29%, Cole Komet at 26%. So I would wow. say most people who are looking at a Gerald Everett replacement are probably trafficking in this area of the tight end group. I am with you. I would rather have Tyler Conklin, as we were just talking about a little bit earlier in this episode, with Arif Hassan. Uh, This is a situation where Conklin should see a little bit of a target boost with Adam Thielen out on Thursday night against the Steelers. I would go Conklin. I would probably go Ricky Seals-Jones. I think I would go Gerald Everett before I went Cole Komet. And that's uh, that's really the group of tight ends that we're looking at here if we're talking Gerald Everett. Seven targets. You got to like getting those uh, those targets that he had. And as you pointed out on Monday, Russell Wilson, in his time back from the finger injury, looked most like himself last week of any game that we've seen him back on the field. So you would just think another week healthier, another week further removed from that injury. Hopefully looks another week closer to the pre-injury Russell Wilson, and so that and, also and Houston this week. Let's not let's not forget yeah. that. Let's not bury the lead here. This is the Texans. Yes. <laughs> this is a Texans team that uh, hands out uh, thirty-point games like uh, a, uh, yeah. a couple of parents in the suburbs on Halloween <laughs> handing out candy. I mean that is just how things go for this Texans team. So definitely feel okay about Gerald Everett for you there if your tight end situation on waivers is a wasteland, Jason. We've got one more question, Funston. This is more a big-picture fantasy question at this time of year, obviously. We're all thinking about the fantasy football playoffs, and Victor's got a question for us. Uh, Doesn't give any context. I suppose someone in his league is maybe getting screwed, though, because he says that his league is debating determining the final playoff spot by points scored rather than head-to-head record. He says, I know a lot of leagues do this, but just curious about your guys guys thoughts on it so what do you think about this Funston well uh, I'm changing my league to it next year because I'm getting screwed for this very thing <laughs> so uh, self-interested yes exactly no that's <laughs> I hate the I hate the weight of head-to-head it, it's it's you know we know this is a luck thing from week yeah. to week it's skill when you look at the big picture it's luck from week to week uh so yeah, you should reward the person that put out the lineup that scored the most over the long haul. And um, if that doesn't work out in the win-loss record, it should work out at least for the final playoff spot. So this is one of those things that uh, like makes me sort of a fantasy sports apostate because I don't love this. And I totally get the logic behind it. But I think you need some sort of guardrails on it. I think there has to be like a clause that triggers it. Like You can't tell me that a team that goes now we're in a what a 14 game regular season you can't tell me that a 6 and 8 team that outscores an 8 and 6 team by like 12 points is for sure better than that 8 and 6 team I, like I, th- there's no way that's true and this is a head to head game so like i mean head to head should be more important there i think you also run into a situation when you do these things with points where like that last person finishes 7 and 7 and has more points than the teams that are in third and fourth in their league, but fewer points than the team that is in seventh place. And so they end up getting like, where do you draw the line as to when head to head matters and when it doesn't matter? Like it's, it starts to get a little murky for me. If you're looking at a team that has the most points scored 
and could miss the playoffs, I agree that something like that should be rectified. So I support this idea, but there has to be a trigger. It has to be like the team that's missing out is one of the top two points scored, or the team there's a team with a hundred more points than the team that you know went six and eight and squeaked its way into the playoffs in our last playoff spot. I don't like it just as a pure most points left gets the last spot sort of thing. Yeah, I guess you. you, you it's it's hard to define, but. Like I'm in a league where, and I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm in one league where I'm four and nine, and I have the third most points in a 12-team league. And so I, I would understand it would be weird to have a four and nine team going into mm-hmm. the playoffs. But I'm literally like a better scoring team than, than the one division leader and all three well, other. You, play- you got to get rid of divisions. There, there's your problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like the divisions, but yeah, I, I, I guess you could put some caveats on it, but I think there should be some weight given in some way, shape or form to scoring yeah. the most points because that's been the object all season long. Score points. Right. I am know. absolutely receptive to it, but not not in the way I outlined, which is what ends up happening a lot of times. Like they're like. There's, you know, we, we prize consistency in this game too, right? Yep. And so a team that goes eight and six or seven and let's even let me make it a one game difference. A team that goes seven and seven, like what would you say is a better team, Funston? A team that goes seven and seven and is scoring between, you know, 130 and 150 every week, or a team that goes six and eight and has the ceiling to go for 180, but is also putting up a string of one tenths. Like I, I would say that that team that's in the middle is a little bit better, even if the team that uh, has the 180 ceiling ends up outscoring them by like 30 points. Like I don't think I don't think that defines the secondary team as a better team. Okay, so what's uh, so 200? If you score 200 one week and 100 the next week, uh, I'm trying to remember what the mean and the median. Which one's the median? Which one's the mean? So 150 is mean the, is average. Median kay. is when half is above and half is below. Yeah, so I think the median is is the better team. Like yeah, the, the, so the, do week, I. the week to week value as opposed to. You know the, the high swings where you had two hundred one week and hundred next week. Where if if you actually scored one hundred fifty both weeks, I I would say that team was better. Yeah, exactly. But the ceiling team sometimes comes out on top in points scored, but the the consistency isn't there. I'm just saying if it's like the way that I support total points as a determiner of who gets the last playoff spot or the last two playoff spots is like ensuring that the teams that are top two in points scored get in the playoffs no matter what. Then I'm yep. cool with it. That's how I would – in a league of mine, that's how I would argue for it. I would not say it's just uh, one through five are determined by record and the sixth playoff spot goes to whoever has the most points. I don't think that's – I don't think that's right. But if it's – we're going to uh, – one through six, just all determined on record unless one of the teams with the top two points scored is out, then they get to bump that last team in. Oh, so you're just screwing my team that's the third, the third highest scoring team. So. Well, I mean, at what, at what point does being the X highest scoring team stop mattering? I would say it stops mattering at about three, and certainly by four. I would say three. That's a, that's Olympics. Yeah. They, you know, they're go- <laughs> gold, silver, bronze. To me, that seems like a good thing to apply to your league. <laughs> uh, it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing to talk about. I actually, I, I really enjoy, uh, especially this time of year when we've sort of talked every other point in the fantasy world to death. I like talking about these things that are just general league improvement ideas and how you can make your league a little bit more fun. I also, just for the, I, I don't think like pure, like we don't necessarily play this game for like we're not playing this game on a spreadsheet exactly. We're not trying to just reward the pure like if we did that, it would just we wouldn't even have head to head. And we right. would just play total points for the whole season. 
And we, that's boring. We'd automate line. It's, a, it's almost best yeah. ball. We're getting into best yeah. ball world where you just automate yeah. lineups. You get your automatically your best, you know, yeah. performing lineup. And where's the fun week? in that? The, right. the I am very much not a total point. I don't like rotisserie baseball, really. Like, yeah. head-to-head, head-to-head competition is the essence of sports. Yeah, I get that. The only problem is that you don't, you don't have control over both sides, you know? Yeah. You know, that so it's it that that in sports you have an offense and you have a defense. In in fantasy there is no defense. That's true. That is very true, Funston, but life isn't perfect yep. in that sort of way. <laughs> and if that's not the way you sign off a show, I don't know <laughs> what is. That's gonna do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you all for listening to our beat writers, Jeff Zrebic, Jay Morrison, Arif Hassan. Thank you also, and of course, for Brandon Funston. We're signing off here. I am Michael Beller. Uh, We'll be talking to you soon on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Bunch of shows coming to you the rest of the week, and be sure to tune in on Thursday when Funston and I needle Jake with all the Christmas puns that we can think of. We'll talk to you guys all soon. See you later.